For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The mayor of Tampa Bay made international news last week after she hooked into a million bucks worth of cocaine on a fishing trip in the Florida Keys. Tampa Bay Mayor Jane Castor told local media that she and her family were fishing for lobster and mahi-mahi when her brother spotted something floating in the water. Hoping to find fish in the shadow of the debris, they went to investigate. Castor is a former narcotics officer, but it didn't take a narco to notice something fishy about the tightly wrapped packages of white powder. The plastic wrapping had started to decay, but they could still make out an image of a blue and purple butterfly on each. They found 24 kilos in total, which equals about 70 pounds of snow, valued around 1.1 million bucks. The mayor and her family brought the coke back to shore and called the local sheriff's office, U.S. Border Patrol took the narcotics into custody, and you can find images of the bales of sneeze online. This isn't the first time a keel full of nose candy was found in the ocean. In April of this year, law enforcement found nearly $440 million worth of cocaine in Italian waters, and in February, authorities in New Zealand seized more than three tons of cocaine floating in the ocean. So while it might seem a little coincidental that a former police officer and current mayor of a major American city just happened to find a bale of blow in the ocean, international drug dealers apparently have a tough time securing their bump on their boats. Now before we get serious on this story, let's just clear the air here. Common slang terms for cocaine, according to AmericanAddictionCenters.org, would be blow, bump, sea or big sea, coke, crack, dust, flake, line, nose candy, pearl, rail, snow, sneeze, sniff, speedball, toot, and white rock. All right? If I missed any, don't uh, bother sending it in. 
unless it's really funny. Anyway, if you are wondering what cocaine does to fish, I could find exactly one study that was published in the journal Toxicology in 2016. That study involved zebrafish dancing with the white lady. And in that study, it would suggest that fishing under leaking bales of booger sugar out in the ocean could be unproductive, as cocaine largely bypassed the zebrafish's brains and accumulated in their eyeballs in quantities large enough to kill them. What causes hyperactivity in humans through the ingestion of cocaine appeared to cause the zebrafish to become less active, which means it would be a slow bite under a bale of cocaine. So here's a takeaway. One, if you're looking at floating bales of blow, you may want to skip over them and fish more traditional kelp patties because the bite's going to be slow. And if you do keep a fish that you uh, caught underneath a bale of disintegrating cocaine in the big blue, uh, you may want to skip eating the eyeballs. I'm trying to swim here. What, the ocean isn't big enough for you or something like that? Huh? You got a problem, buddy? Huh? Huh? Do you? Do you? Do you? One piece of me? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm scared now. This week, we've got animal attacks, legalese, citizen science, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was great. Met up with Hayden Hansen, the fine gentleman who won the Get Ready for the Season auction at BHA Rendezvous. We headed over to the Weatherby factory in Sheridan, Wyoming, where we met the crew on the factory floor, had all of our production line questions answered, then we zeroed in some different rifle combinations, headed out to the range, and rang steel all the way out to a thousand yards. Then we switched gears and busted clays with the new Weatherby side-by-sides, which are amazing. We even got to tinker around with some stuff that's not released yet. Had a great time, and old Hayden is having a brand spanking new custom 307 topped with a Vortex Razor LHT shipped to his nearest FFL. So be on the lookout for that package this next rendezvous. Hayden told me he's probably going to try to buy it again. It's a ton of fun. You'll be more prepared for the season ahead, and the cash goes to protecting access to public lands and wildlife. And if you haven't noticed this year's Land Access Initiative project is up and running, we've found a really amazing place on the lower Yellowstone here in Montana. Big old cottonwood bottoms, home to big game, small game, migratory and upland birds. It's truly an incredible place, and the fishing will blow your socks off too. I just cannot believe there are still people out there who will turn down big money to help provide more access to hunting and fishing. This particular landowner did just that in order to preserve his property for the use of generations of outdoors people to come. So if you want to contribute to increasing the areas of hunting and fishing in this great country, you can head over to the Meat Eater Auction House of Oddities and place a bid on something cool and unique. We're adding a surprise round of items just for you. You can always round up for conservation after making a purchase at TheMeatEater.com, as well as donating directly to this project in a tax-deductible fashion by sending a good old-fashioned check to my friends at Pheasants Forever, Dash Montana Build a Wildlife Area at 1783 Burkle Circle. Still can't pronounce that. B U E R K L E Circle, St. Paul, Minnesota 55110. And last but not least, before we move on, I do want to call out that we will cover some portions of the Maui Wolf Fire situation on this episode. I and we at Meat Eater have had so much fun in the state of Hawaii. I have a bunch of friends on Maui who have shared so much with me over the years. 
killer experiences, family dinner tables, fishing and hunting spots, local knowledge, and just super limited in how we can help for my landlocked state of Montana. It's a crappy feeling. After lots of texting, there's some great options for you to help by sending donations. You can find those options at uh, linktree slash canoe patch. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash K-A-N-O-P-A-C-H. There you will find the Maui Strong Fund as well as a lot of direct Venmo options for displaced families. Moving on to the animal desk. Animal attacks are frequent on this here podcast, but this week, some of the strangest encounters I've heard of occurred. At the top of the list is a freak accident that many people have heard of, but may not have happened before. A 64-year-old Texas woman named Peggy Jones was mowing her lawn in late July when a snake landed on her arm. We aren't sure what type of snake it was for reasons that will be clear in a minute, but she told local media that the serpent wrapped itself around her arm, struck at her face, and spewed venom on her glasses. She flung her arm around trying to get the snake off, but it hung on for dear life. Moments later, another animal entered the fray, a hawk, which Jones believed had been carrying the snake through the air. The hawk circled back to retrieve its dinner. It swooped at Jones four times, clawing at her arm and trying to get the snake to release. After a few more hectic moments, the hawk managed to pry the reptile off of Jones's arm and fly away. The woman suffered puncture wounds, cuts, abrasions, scratches, and severe bruising. She was given antibiotics at the hospital, but it sounds like the mental injuries are worse than the physical ones. Hey, at least you got a great excuse to not mow the yard. She told CBS News that she's slept eight hours in the last two weeks, and she wakes up feeling panicked, which is understandable. Another odd animal attack took place last month in the western Ontario town of Sioux Lookout. A lynx reportedly sent someone to the hospital after a run-in around 11.30 in the evening. Officials haven't released much additional information, but this story caught my eye because of how rare it is for a lynx to even be seen by a human, much less attack one. In fact, this may be the first recorded lynx attack on a human in North America. It's not hard to find reports of lynx attacking chickens or dogs, but a wildlife biologist with Alaska Fish and Game told the Anchorage Daily News that no one in North America has ever documented a lynx attack on a person. It's unclear what motivated this specific attack, but Ontario officials urge residents to avoid leaving food outside, install motion-activated lights, and never run from a cat are a couple of things you can do. By now, you've probably heard about the otter attack that took place in Montana a few weeks ago. Three women were attacked while floating in inner tubes on the Jefferson River, and one of them had to be airlifted to the hospital. You can read more details and check out the grisly images for yourself on TheMeatEater.com. Which, I'm just going to say it, quit floating rivers and inner tubes. Just leave those rivers for the uh, hunting and angling crowd, okay? Now, some ranchers are using the attack to push for more aggressive otter management. The Cowboy State Daily interviewed several Wyoming residents who say the otter population has grown too large. They say conflicts between otters and humans are on the rise, and they want to see Wyoming legalize otter trapping. One of the ranchers said, quote, They're getting aggressive. They're not afraid of humans. It's no different than the friggin' grizzly bears. I can think of a few differences, but I've also never been attacked by uh, an otter, so who can really say for sure? Limited otter trapping takes place in Montana and Idaho, along with several other states, but Wyoming Game and Fish says the population isn't robust enough to handle a trapping season. Moving on to the legal desk. 
New Mexico Attorney General Raul Torres announced last week that his office would be aggressively investigating landowners who block access to public waterways. Last year, the New Mexico Supreme Court ruled that the public could wade down the beds of rivers and streams even if they pass through private property. Prior to this ruling, the New Mexico Game Commission had issued permits to some private landowners allowing them to fence off stream access in a direct violation of the state constitution. The court decision invalidated those permits and told landowners they'd have to remove the barriers and let the public through. But Attorney General Torres said in a press release that his office is receiving reports from anglers of rivers and streams that remain blocked. They took photographs of barbed wire and other types of fencing stretching across streams and impeding access. The AG's office says they've even received reports of barbed wire at or below the water level, which is obviously a serious public safety hazard. In response to these reports, Torres reaffirmed that, quote, These waters belong to the people of the state, and we stand ready to use every available tool to ensure public access to these natural resources. Good on you, New Mexico. In other legal news, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the judge in the Wyoming corner crossing case has ruled again in favor of the corner crossers. This time, he rejected a motion by Iron Bar Holdings to stay his ruling while the case works its way through the appeals court. You can read the full ruling for yourself at themeateater.com forward slash cal, but I wanted to highlight a message the judge sent to public land hunters again. Lawyers for Iron Bar Holdings argue that the judge should stay his previous ruling because their client is at risk of irreparable harm if the ruling is not put on hold. Remember that in the original decision, Judge Scott Skovdahl said there is no liability for trespass as long as hunters cross between corners of public land in a checkerboard pattern and do not set foot on or damage private property. Lawyers for Iron Bar Holdings say their client is at risk of irreparable harm because he has received calls, emails, and mail that contain threatening or abusive language. Apparently, some folks aren't happy that Iron Bar Holdings and its owner, Fred Eshelman, sued the corner crossers, and they've sent nasty messages to him and his employees. The judge called these messages immature, improper, and potentially subject to legal action. While he rejected the argument that these messages had much to do with his ruling, he did have a direct message to hunters who might be tempted to harass Eshelman and his employees. Quote, This court's decision should not be perceived as a license or opportunity to engage in malevolence or vitriolic conduct against plaintiff's owner, plaintiff's employees, or anyone else. The court has faith that the general public recognizes and respects the legal process and rights determined, defined, and protected through the judicial system, not vigilanteism. In other words, don't give Eshelman or any other landowner a hard time about corner crossing. In fact, part of the reason the Missouri corner crossers won their case is because they didn't engage in this kind of harassment. Judge Skovdahl emphasizes that those hunters never acted in a threatening or aggressive manner, which is a big reason they won their case in the first place. Conflicts between you and a landowner aren't just about you and that landowner. You are a representative of the hunting and fishing community, and you never know who else that conflict could impact. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people 
pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the science desk. The Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources is asking for the public's help collecting data on white-tailed deer and game birds. Hunters and other members of the public can download an app and record their observations of deer and birds in August and September. The process is really simple and doesn't cost a thing. You just download the Survey123 app, scan the QR code on the DNR website, and record your observations. The agency asks participants to record things like number of animals, location, and sex. The DNR uses this data to estimate population density, population change over time, and the ratios between adults and young. Ultimately, this information is used to inform game management plans, which determine seasons, bag limits, and other regs that hunters should care about. The more folks participate, the more data the DNR can collect, and the better decisions they can make. We'll post a link with the sign-up info at themeateater.com forward slash cal. The Boone and Crockett Club is also asking for the public's help to get a window into the minds of poachers, They've partnered with the Wildlife Management Institute and university researchers to investigate what motivates people to poach animals and how often they do so. They're interested in big game poaching of deer, black bear, brown bear, elk, turkey, mountain lion, and several other species. Respondents will fill out a brief online survey and they may also be contacted for longer follow-up interviews. Whether you've accidentally shot a deer out of season or you are a hardened wildlife criminal, 
the Boone and Crockett would love to hear from you. They assure respondents that their information will be held securely and destroyed after the completion of the study, so I don't believe this is some kind of elaborate sting operation. And if you're skeptical that poachers would volunteer to tell someone else about their crimes, consider this. Poachers, like many criminals, love to brag about their exploits, uh, and they love to uh, eliminate the competition, too. So uh, that's why game wardens love Facebook. Maybe, instead of posting on Instagram about the buck you spotlighted, you use your experience to do some good in the world. You can't put that deer back in the forest, but maybe you can help game wardens figure out better ways to keep others from making the same uh, choices. Jumping over to Minnesota in the same survey situation, you may remember back in episode 180, I told you about a campaign to protect native so-called rough fish in Minnesota. Rough fish can be native to an area, but for whatever reason, aren't considered uh, cool, and uh, people don't want to eat them, and they just kind of get labeled as trash fish, right? There isn't a size or bag limit on these fish, typically, and biologists can't be sure how the populations are doing. I'm very pleased to report that the rough fish campaign, spearheaded by the Isaac Walton League, is gaining traction. The Minnesota Department of Natural Resources released a survey asking anglers whether, quote, native rough fish should receive the same protection from waste and overharvest as native birds and mammals. Tyler Winter from the Isaac Walton League says that our audience is exactly the folks the Minnesota DNR needs to hear from. So, if you'd like to see bigmouth buffalo, bowfin, drum, and gar getting the same protections as other species, and I want to define same protections, right? Basically, we're going to put cash into understanding population size, better understandings of their roles in the aquatic ecosystem, and at a minimum, there's going to be some guardrails set up instead of the current free-for-all situation. Don't think that, uh, you know, grass carp are going to get the same slot limit regulations as uh, your big walleye trophy lake, okay? Got it? Got it? Let's stop, uh, stop spreading those rumors, kids. Anyway, check out the link. We'll post it at themeateater.com forward slash cal. You can also find the survey by Googling Minnesota Rough Fish Survey. Moving on to the fishing desk. We covered that uh, rough fish may be undervalued, but we know that blue marlin are not. In fact, last weekend, a 640-pound blue marlin earned its anglers the biggest cash prize of any fish in history, at least that we're aware of. $10.5 $10.5 million was up for the grabs at the 50th annual White Marlin Open in Ocean City, Maryland, but anglers were having a tough time landing fish that met the 114-inch minimum. Anglers caught 551 White Marlin and 46 Blue Marlin throughout the course of the tournament, but only three were brought in and only two were weighed. One missed the cutoff by just two inches, which almost certainly lost those anglers millions of dollars. Other anglers who didn't make the cut included a little-known basketball player named Michael Jordan, who went after Marlins from his 84-foot custom yacht, cleverly titled Catch-23, but I just mentioned that because his airiness is, you know, a hot topic, and no, he doesn't need the prize money. Anyway, on the last day of the tournament, the boat, titled Floreal, slid in with a fish that left no doubt about whether it would qualify, according to tournament officials, the marlin measured 118 inches and weighed 640.5 pounds. It was caught by Maryland resident John Oles, and you can see images over at TheMeatEater.com. Because it was the only billfish that qualified for the entire tournament, it won all the prizes in that category, which totaled a whopping $6.2 million. 
Tournament officials say this is a new world record prize for the catch of a fish. The previous record, a measly 4.45 million, was won at the same tournament last year for a 77.5 pound white marlin. Of course, you can't have winners without losers. MJ was great, but he needed John Stockton and Carl Malone to beat in the finals every year. That's a 90s basketball reference for you kids out there. Even though Floor Reels Marlin was the only one to qualify, the tournament rules say that if no Marlin are caught, the prize money goes to the heaviest tuna in that division. That means that before this Marlin was brought in, the boat Rochambeau was sitting on a $7.1 million prize for its 215 pound tuna. They still took home $1.7 million, but I can't imagine their disappointment when Floor Reel sailed in with their catch. The Ocean City White Marlin Open was first held in 1974. It's known as one of the richest billfish tournaments in the world, but this year's officials say anglers were particularly conservation-minded. It is unusual that of the 605 billfish caught during the five-day tournament, all but three were released. With over $7 million of the total $10.5 million purse reserved for billfish, it was remarkable that not one boat brought a non-contender to the scale before the closing day on Friday. Moving on, to the wildfire desk. By now you've heard about the devastating wildfire on the Hawaiian island of Maui. As of this recording, the death toll is extremely speculative, but it's a lot. There's confirmed reports through eyewitnesses, personal friends of mine, of, yeah, some serious human devastation. Uh, Numbers aren't being released because they haven't been verified through DNA. This is already the fifth deadliest wildfire in U.S. history and the worst fire tragedy in over a century. Nearly 300 homes and other structures were destroyed when the fire ripped through the town of Lahaina, and preliminary estimates put the economic cost between $3 and $7.5 billion. How wildfires impact animals is a super fascinating topic that we've covered in previous episodes, but this fire is different from some of the other fires we've seen in the western U.S. It was incredibly fast, driven by 80-mile-per-hour winds produced by a hurricane several hundred miles offshore. It was also a relatively small fire in terms of acres, but it was highly concentrated in urban and suburban areas. That's why it was so deadly for people and animals alike. There's no estimate on how many animals died in the fire, but I'm sure it's well into the hundreds. And unlike in other fires, many of the critters are pets rather than wild animals. The Maui Humane Society has been inundated with pets that have been recovered from the street or that have been dropped off by families who no longer have the ability to care for them. Coordination efforts are underway to try to reconnect pets with lost families, but that's an extremely difficult task given all the chaos. Folks have been posting images of their pets to local Facebook groups asking whether anyone has seen their dogs, cats, horses, and birds. It's understandable how pets get left behind in the rush to escape a wall of fire, but hopefully those folks can reconnect with their furry friends. Everyone knows that uh, dogs are wonderful uh, support animals. Seriously, hearts go out to all you folks over there. Real nasty situation, and hopefully some better means of helping uh, develop here pretty quick. So we'll stay on top of it. Feel free to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com, and we'll see you can't direct Uh, a little bit of traffic your way also those cleanup crews go to www.steeldealers.com find a local knowledgeable steel dealer clean things up in a jiffy thanks again and i'll talk to you next week
Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.